0: Wrestling fans, are you ready? For the thousands in attendance and the millions watching around the world, Uh, let's get ready to rumble! Stupid idiots. Such a matcha thong wearing fatty. Party's over, Grandpa. Kane was there! Kane was there too! Yeah! No enhancement needed. This ain't Monday Night Raw! This is It's Wrestle Rant Radio. What's going on guys and welcome back to WrestleRant Radio for November 1st, 2018. I am Graham Gius Matthews. Hope you guys are doing well and recovering from your candy Halloween hangover. From last night, I had a hell of a time. Halloween is by far my favorite holiday of the year. I love me some Christmas, no disrespect to one of the more happier holidays of the year. But Halloween is my shiznit, always has been, always will be. And keep in mind, I'm not much of a party guy, but... My glorious girlfriend, Alexis, did hold a Halloween party last night. I went as Dean Ambrose, a pretty convincing one at that, I thought, anyway. She went as the current Raw Women's Champion, Ronda Rousey. A great couple costume, in my opinion. Speaking of Alexis, she was on WrestleRent Radio last week for a jam-packed episode, talking all about Evolution, Raw, SmackDown, Roman Reigns, our on-site report from the WWE Hartford House Show from last Saturday. We had a great time sitting down to talk, and talking for well over an hour and a half. We only planned on doing an hour... We ended up talking for an hour and a half, so that speaks to the chemistry we have as a boyfriend, girlfriend, and just, I guess, WrestleRant Radio co-hosts. Um, obviously, she'll be back here on the show at some point down the road in the not-so-distant future. In the meantime, though, we got plenty to talk about here today. Flying solo, I am Graham G.S. Matthews, as I said at the start of the show. From Evolution, Raw, SmackDown, and previewing and predicting this Sunday's crown, or not Sunday, rather Friday's. Crown Jewel pay-per-view. I'm so used to saying Sundays because usually all the pay-per-views happen on Sundays, but they've been on different days in the last couple of months from Evolution happening on a Sunday, Hell in the Cell happening on a Sunday, Crown Jewel happening on a Friday, Super Showdown happening on a Saturday, early, early in the morning. Crown Jewel's airing, I think, at 12 Eastern time on Friday, so I'm not sure if I'll be able to watch it live, but I will catch it whenever I have the chance. Late Friday night, early Saturday, we'll see. I'm not exactly... Overly anticipating that uh, upcoming event on Friday. So we'll talk more about that when we get to it. But speaking of last week's edition and all the other editions of Wrestle Rant Radio, you can check them out right here on not only nextairwrestling.net, but also on iTunes. Simply search up Wrestle Rant Radio on the Apple Podcast app, rate the show, review the show, subscribe to the show. You not only get every new episode on Thursdays, you also get every archived episode dating back to the very first one in October of 2013. So over five years' worth of content, full of WrestleRant Radio audio for your ear's pleasure. Check it out right now by subscribing on iTunes, WrestleRant Radio. So again, guys, all that being said, plenty to talk about here today. You can find me on the socials first. For all my immediate thoughts on the world of wrestling, on Twitter at WrestleRant, on Facebook at facebook.com backslash gram.gsm.matthews. YouTube as well, youtube.com backslash C, backslash Graham and Matthews. But before we get to the latest happenings in the world of WWE and beyond, do want to mention this. Um, Alexis and I actually attended last Saturday's Ringside Fest event in New York City at Caroline's. I was there last year to meet Finn Balor. And it was nice. I mean, Finn Balor was really cool. was able to get an autograph and a picture with him. But it was like one of those things where I was there alone. It was awful weather. It was raining all day long. I was outside in the rain for, no joke, like two hours. I think I might have had an umbrella. I'm not sure. I feel like I did. But even with the umbrella and a poncho on, I was fucking miserable because I was so soaked. It was pretty bad. And then when you got inside, it was jam-packed with people. I was hoping for a less stressful experience this year. And we got just that. I don't know if it was because Alexis was there or whatever, but... There was no line waiting on the outside. This year, it was not... I mean, last year, we had Big Cass and Alexa Bliss in the morning session, which I didn't go to. Who gives a shit about Big Cass? Would have been cool to meet Alexa Bliss, who had a lot of fans, but... And still does, obviously, but only made the trip for Finn Balor in the afternoon. Didn't meet Braun Strowman. Just, um... Just Finn Balor. So, I mean, to meet him for 15 seconds, get a picture with him, was it really that worth it? To most people, probably not. I enjoyed the experience. I talked all about it in a random video blog on the YouTube channel last year. So if you haven't already checked that out, please do so. This year's experience was a lot less stressful, a lot easier, a lot more enjoyable, I thought. And again, maybe it was because Alexis was there there with me. I wasn't flying solo. Maybe it was because of who we met. So this year, in the morning session, they had the entire Undisputed Era. And to meet the entire Undisputed Era and to talk to them, get a picture with them, get autographs, was well over $200. These autographs and pictures were extremely expensive. Probably not the WWE's decision. I would assume it was uh, Ringside Fest's decision for whatever reason. But they were pretty damn expensive. Finn Balor last year was no exception. That was really no less expensive. But anyway... Uh, to meet the entire Undisputed Air was like well over $200, so I was not doing that. I already met Adam Cole a few years ago when he was the Ring of Honor World Champion at the Ring of Honor All-Star Extravaganza pay-per-view, which was awesome. Um, really, really nice guy. I got to interview him over the phone soon after that, so yeah, um, I already met him, I already talked to him, I already interviewed him, so I was like, okay, I'll just meet Roderick Strong. I'm a big Roderick Strong fan, I think it'd be cool to meet him, get to chat with him, tell him how big of a fan I am, blah, blah, blah. I also have one of his shirts, to get a picture with him would be pretty damn cool. So we go up to meet Roderick Strong, which we do. He signs an autograph for me to Graham, um, signs the 8x10 for me, get to talk to him, take a picture with him. But as we go in for the picture, Alexis joins me for the picture, which I wasn't 100% positive was possible. I thought they might, like, oh, no, it's just him. Like, you only paid for one person, it's only just him. I wasn't 100% sure. Um, That being said, though, she did come up with me. They said nothing. They allowed it. And then when she came up with me, we not only got a picture with the entire, with, with Roderick Strong, we got a picture with the entire Undisputed Era, including Adam Cole, Kyle O'Reilly, and the recently returned Bobby Fish. Didn't get to talk to Kyle O'Reilly and Bobby Fish. I thought, you know, just because, I don't know, I I, I didn't think I was going to meet them, so I didn't talk to them, but I did get to talk to Adam Cole very briefly. He's a major star, obviously, big Adam Cole, Bebe fan. So uh, Alexis actually asked him, I asked him for her, but we asked him. What he puts in his hair to make it so shiny all the time? He just said conditioner. And Roderick Strong seconded that thought as well. Um, but yeah, no, they were really, really nice. It was an amazing experience. We got to meet the entire Undisputed Era, get a picture with the entire group for like the cost of one combo for just Roderick Strong. So I don't know what mistake they made, but thanks to the people at Ringside Fest for making that mistake. It was uh, it was amazing. I really, really appreciated that. And uh, as if that wasn't enough, so we took time off. That only took about maybe. An hour, hour and a half max. I, I would say roughly an hour because we got out of there around 11. We went to Applebee's next door, ate lunch over there, went back to Caroline's for the second session, um, which started around once. So we got there early, got good seats, and it's not really like good seats, but they have you wait in groups. We were in like the second group, so our third group rather. So we didn't have to wait long to meet the second set of superstars, that being WWE Hall of Famer, former Raw General Manager Kurt Angle, and Woken and Matt Hardy. So I had to go to the second session. Kurt Angle, I wanted to have him sign my Intercontinental Championship belt. I am on a mission to have every current living former Intercontinental Champion sign that championship, my replica title, that I got as a gift from Jason for my, uh, for my birthday about a year ago, a year and a half ago. And so far, I have about eight, nine names, I think. I lost track, but I've had a lot of people sign it in the last year and a half, including Chris Jericho, Ray Mysterio, Christian Kurt Angle, Cody Rhodes, and a few others, Billy Gunn. Um, so I'm like, I would be remiss to not have Kurt Angle sign this thing, because I'm not sure when the next opportunity will be to have him sign it, so sure enough, he signed the championship for me, really cool guy, he actually follows me on Twitter, I didn't say that, but he was really nice to talk to you, albeit briefly, and then we moved right on to Oaken Matt Hardy, now, anyone who knows me knows I'm a big Matt Hardy fan, not only inside the ring, but also outside the ring, um, I met him for the first time back in 2012, he's always been one of my biggest inspirational icons, and um, I have now met him Prior to that point, I had met him five times. Once in 2012, once in 2014, twice in 2015, and then once in 2016. All at independent wrestling shows for Northeast Wrestling. And that was all before he returned to WWE. So I wasn't sure, okay, you know, he's a busy man, will he remember me, all this other stuff. And he did, sure enough, as soon as they walked up, he remembered me immediately. Really cool to talk to Matt Hardy. He actually recognized Alexis as well through my tweets because we follow each other on Twitter too. So Matt already recognized Alexis. We talked for a while about the House Hardy Halloween special that aired this past week after Evolution on the WWE Network, which is well worth checking out. If you're a fan of the Woken Broken Universe, it's definitely worth the watch. It was a lot of fun. I enjoyed it for what it was, especially on the heels of Halloween Network on November 1st, but still check it out anyway. Nonetheless, we talked about that, um, what's been up with both of us, all this other cool stuff. So I just wanted to mention that Matt Hardy is a really, really cool guy. We got a great picture with him. It's now the banner photo on my Twitter on my wrestling Twitter, at WrestleRant. So, um, me, Alexis, and Matt, and he got to talk to her as well, or she got to talk to him too. So, it was awesome. Matt Hardy could not be more of a class act. Still one of, if not the, best wrestler I've ever met. At Someone at that level. Someone who has a ton of notoriety, has been been in Ring of Honor. I've met him on the Indies. I've met him when he was with Ring of Honor. I met him when, when he was with Impact Wrestling. I met him... Um, Now that he's with WWE, I've met him all over the place. So, again, cannot thank Matt enough for his generosity and kindness and his time. He actually held up a few of the people in back of us, so I apologize to those people. But he held up a few of the people in back of us just so he could talk to us about the House Hardy Halloween special, which more than delivered and exceeded my expectations, which were already high. So, amazing time in New York City last Saturday at Ringside Fest 2018. If you're in the area, check it out next year. They only announced the guests like a few weeks in advance. Um, I was like constantly checking, who's going to be there this year? Who's going to be there this year? And sure enough, like two weeks out, they announced Matt Hardy, Kurt Angle, and the entire Undisputed Era. I proceeded to go crazy because I've always wanted to meet Roderick Strong and the Undisputed Era, who I got to meet anyway, despite not paying for all of them. um, Got to see Matt again and got to have Kurt Angle sign my championship. So it was a win-win-win deal. Alexis enjoyed it. We had a great time in the city that day. And the weather wasn't too bad either. It was predicted to be like a Nor'easter again, which we've been getting seemingly every week for months now, at least here in the Northeast. It wasn't too terrible. And we had a great day. So hopefully I'll be back next year and they have another slew of great guests. So if you're in the New York City area, be sure to check it out, Ringside Fest 2018. They have the people you can meet, but, I mean, you don't have to go in and just meet the people. You can go downstairs in the bottom of Caroline's. You still have to wait in the line, but you can go downstairs, check out the action figures. They have merchandise things for the wrestlers to sign. Um, all new collectibles and stuff that have never been foreseen and revealed before Ringside Fest. So definitely check it out in New York City. It seems to be every, the last weekend of October every year. So check it out next year if you're in the area. Um, with all that being said, I was in New York on Saturday. did not return on Sunday for Evolution, which I was contemplating at one point going to the show. Um, my brother actually goes to school right around there. So I was contemplating a few months ago when they initially announced Evolution Um, back in July, I was thinking, hmm, maybe I can go visit him, and then go do Evolution that same night. And I would have had to take time off from work, and it really came down to, what do I want to do, Ringside Fest or Evolution? It was clearly Ringside Fest. So I didn't go to Evolution, and I wasn't, you know, I mean, it was a great show, which I'll talk about momentarily. But I really, I know I would have regretted going in. Ultimately, I would not have regretted it, but going in, the build was so fucking abysmal. This company gave you no reason to care about this pay-per-view. Oh, the first ever all-women's pay-per-view, who gives a shit? No one cared. I mean, ultimately, yeah, it was a great show, and I fucking loved it personally, as did a lot of other people, but going in, the hype was at an all-time low, just because all eyes were set on Crown Jewel, and the only real reason this pay-per-view was happening, which was going to happen eventually anyway, was because of Crown Jewel. And, in the fact, they won't allow women on that show, so they're like, okay, let's throw the women a bone, give them their own show, give them their own pay-per-view, And it succeeded. I thought the overall presentation of the show was great. The atmosphere was awesome. The in-ring action on the whole was excellent. So we'll start breaking it down right now. And easily, in my opinion, one of the better, if not best, pay-per-views WWE has has produced all year. Like, name me a better pay-per-view that was consistently as entertaining as Evolution. Now, granted, it's all subjective, but I was at the Rumble. I was at Money in the Bank. And neither of those shows, despite being very good, were nearly as consistent and entertaining as Evolution was, at least in my opinion. WrestleMania was great. A few other shows they put on this year were pretty good. A few stinkers as well, including Backlash and Extreme Rules and Super Showdown, who gives a shit? Um, But Evolution, I think at the end of the day, will go down as one of, if not the best, WWE pay-per-view all year. And not just because, oh, history was made, the first ever all-women's pay-per-view. That has very little to do with it. The matches spoke for themselves they didn't water down the evening with any fucking Stephanie McMahon promos. Obviously, they interspliced video packages and interviews with the women's wrestlers talking about the history-making moment of having their first ever pay-per-view, the evolution of women's wrestling. And that's all fine and good. I mean, I'd be surprised if they didn't do that, so I'm not too shocked that they did. But still, I thought putting that stuff aside, the matches were what really drew me into the show. It started off strong and ended strong, too. And everything in the middle was also very, very good. Um, So anyway, we kicked off the show with tag team action. Trish Stratus and Lita teaming for the first time in years. I'm sure they've teamed before. I was going to say for the first time ever, I'm not sure when the last time they teamed was, but I'm sure they had to have teamed before. Otherwise, they feel like they would have said so here. But anyway, they took on Mickey James and Alicia Fox. Yes, it was supposed to be Alexa Bliss in place of Alicia Fox, but Alexa Bliss was apparently injured, which I think we talked about here in the show very briefly on and Radio last week is Alexis and I were at that show where she apparently got hurt at the Hartford House show. I noticed nothing out of the ordinary about that match, specifically about her performance. She did tap out to Rhonda. It's not like she was taken out of the match for the rest of the match after seemingly getting hurt. Um, I feel like if her nose was broken, A, I feel like she would have competed anyway, and B, they would have said so. Usually when it has something to do with a concussion, um, then, I mean, she also looks perfect, though. I mean, she always looks really, really good, but... She didn't look like she had a scratch on her when we saw her on Evolution, because she came out in the in the corner of Mickey James and Alicia Fox, which was still good. I mean, she should have competed, but whatever. Nonetheless, um, I have to assume it has to do something with a concussion, something concussion-related. I'm not exactly sure. We have very little details at the moment. Also, as far as when she'll be cleared to compete again, um, that's really unfortunate, because I know she wanted nothing more than to compete with Trish Stratus one on one, but also in just being in the ring with her in general. And now, fucking everyone got to do it. The Riot Squad, you know, Mickey James, Alicia Fox, Bailey, and Banks all got that opportunity, not only at Evolution, but also in the next night's Raw. So I, I do assume that Trish and Lita will be back in some capacity in the not so distant future. They could be sticking around for Survivor Series. I don't think there's really any purpose in that. Um, they're not, I don't think of them, I don't see them as bona fide Raw superstars. So if they want to bring them in for the Raw versus SmackDown women's match. Raw wins in a in a land, by a landslide. When you have Trish, Lita, Mickey James and Sasha all in the same brand, and then SmackDown would have who to offer? Charlotte, sure, but beyond that the the well runs dry. Yeah, Oscar, but she's meant nothing forever. Naomi, the Iconics, like who cares? Fucking Mandy Rose, Sonya Deville, who cares? Lana, who cares? Um I don't even know, Carmella maybe? I'm not sure. I don't really care about most of that division. So, Raw would win by a fucking landslide at the end of the day. But, regardless, um, hopefully Alexa Bliss gets her opportunity at some point to step in the ring with Fresh. I'd be very disappointed if she didn't. And I'm sure they promised her, like, listen, you're hurt now. We can't clear you just because of XX and X. um, But we'll give you this match at some point down the road. It may not be in the first ever all-women's pay-per-view. It may not be at WrestleMania. But she'll definitely get that match at some point. I have to believe down the road if Trish and Lita do end up sticking around uh, for the next few months, if not for a while after that. But the match was entertaining. The crowd was in it, but by, was by no means perfect. Was not exactly the smoothest match. But you have to also consider Trish and Lita have been by and large out of the ring for close to a decade, aside from one-off appearances here and there, quick you know, quick Raw matches and quick um, you know Royal Rumble appearances earlier this year. That they really have not been in the ring in a while. So I know they prepared for the match and they were kind of getting ready for the match and whatnot, but they have not been in-ring in shape, so to speak, in a long time. So that, you know, with that uh in mind, I thought they did very well here. They picked up the win as they should have. With Alexa Bliss out of the picture, there was no way Trish and Lita were losing. Absolutely no way. So thankfully they emerged victorious. And um, hopefully we see them again soon down the road. I mean, again, I'll talk about their performance on Raw momentarily, but they were on Raw the next night seemingly signaling to me that they will be back at some point in the next couple of months to compete within the Raw Women's Division. Um, Also in the show, we had a Women's Battle Royal, where the winner would earn a future opportunity at either the Raw or SmackDown Women's Championship, or I was going to say the NXT Women's Championship, but there were no former or current NXT stars in the match. There were a few shown at ringside. We did have, obviously, Shayna Baszler and Kyrie Sane on this pay-per-view. We had Tony Storm and Io Shirai. So maybe they thought, okay, it's not really necessary to have other women from the May Young Classic, from um, you know, from NXT, from NXT UK on the show. It would have been nice. They focused largely on the former stars and not so much the current stars, but nonetheless, it was fun while it lasted. It was a decent Battle Royal. You had a few spots here and there. They uh, they had a dance break with Carmella and Ivory. I'm not really sure why Ivory lasted as long as she did. She is a WWE Hall of Famer as of this year, so maybe that's why. But you know, Molly Holly got tossed in the first like fucking two minutes. So why can't Molly Holly survive till the end? But fucking Ivory can, who's really not that good. But she did put forth a pretty good performance, so props to her. Overall, it was a good match. Nia Jax did emerge victorious to earn that future opportunity. Um, which I guess makes sense. I was a bit let down just because I think Ember Moon would have been a better choice or even Asuka. The crowd was behind Ember Moon here. They were very much behind Ember Moon. They were expecting and hoping for her to win the feature opportunity. Emma Moon's really been flying under the radar since arriving on Raw back the night after WrestleMania. It's not that she's been used poorly or really been handled, you know, underutilized or whatever. She's really been on more Raws than not since April. And she's been doing really, really well for herself. Um, She always impresses. She has great performances every single time she's in there. This was no exception. She had an amazing outing here. That being said, though, they really have to strap the rocket on her and just fucking go. Now, I know they're not going to do a Ronda Rousey-Ember Moon match anytime soon. They've got to build up Ember a little more than that before they can go in that direction. But still, I mean, I was hoping for someone other than Nia Jax. We've seen the Raw Women's Championship picture now for the better part of 2018. From when she first turned face earlier on this year, she won the championship at WrestleMania, lost the championship to Alexa Bliss at Money the Bank, went back for the belt at Extreme Rules, and then took time off until just recently, so... That being said, um, hopefully the match with Ronda is just as good as the Money in the Bank match, which, again, it makes sense. I wanted Ember and really Asuka, too, just because Asuka's been fucking spinning her wheels for months now, um, really ever since WrestleMania. Nia Jax, she does have a legit claim back to the Raw Women's Championship. Now, I know, or I at least did the rematch with Ronda, because I know she got a rematch for the championship at Extreme Rules, um, back in July, and she lost. The match was awful between her and Alexa Bliss, so as long as you don't get another Nia-Alexa match, I'm content. But, um, yeah, so Nia Jax had her match with Ronda back in Money in the Bank. It was interrupted by Alexa Bliss, and we never saw the conclusion of the Nia Jax-Ronda Rousey match. Would Ronda Rousey have slayed Nia Jax for the championship? Now I guess we'll find out. Not at Survivor Series, which we will talk about in my SmackDown review, um, but probably at the TLC pay-per-view in December. In the finals of the 2018 Mae Young Classic, we had Tony Storm taking on E.O. Shirai. This was a great match. Um, There were a few better matches in the Mae Young Classic. Obviously, they were limited for time here, so that's probably why. But this was still an excellent match, my third favorite match in the entire show. Shirai's a star, Storm's a star. They're both stars. Um, I'm glad they went with Storm for a few different reasons. One, it plugs the new NXT UK show, which apparently is airing episodes on Wednesdays in two separate slots. It was one hour at 3 p.m. on Wednesdays, airing at 8 p.m. over in England. But now it's at 4 p.m. and 5 p.m. Why not just combine them into one show? That makes no sense. But anyway, um, Tony Storm is an absolute star. Having her win here plugs that show. And also can get her involved in the NXT Women's Championship picture, too, if they do go in that direction. Io Shirai, similar to Storm, has already signed, sealed, and delivered for WWE. So, I mean, the same thing could be same could be said for last year too. Kyrie Saint and Baszler, I think, were both signed by that point. Actually, I don't know. I don't think Baszler was officially signed to WWE for another month or two, until after the Mayon Classic concluded, at least until October, maybe November. Um, but Io Shirai is already signed. Tony Storm is already signed to at least some sort of a deal for the NXT UK stuff. So I would hope that they could strap the rocket onto her, start pushing her pretty soon um you know at only what 20 21 years old storm is a bona fide star she could do great things for both the women's division not only in the NXT UK and NXT scenes but also in the main roster down the road i would not call her up tomorrow but i think if they were theoretically she would do well for herself as long as she's not made fun of for her accent or made fun of for being english or whatever the fuck which this company is notorious for so i would not be surprised if that's the case with storm but I would hope that they uh, steer clear of all that other bullshit and they can give her the star treatment that she deserves on Raw or SmackDown one day. We had six woman tag team action. Also, with Evolution, Sasha Banks, Bailey, and Natalya teaming up to take on the Riot Squad. I had no expectations for this going in. The match, I knew, figured I figured it would be well wrestled, well wrestled, but I figured it would be on the level of like a Raw match. Why the fuck should I care about Banks, Bailey, and Natalya versus the Riot Squad for the upteenth time? I feel like I've seen a million times by this point. This match, however, was easily the best encounter I've seen from these six women together um, since their quote-unquote feud started a while back. Um, it was a good match. It was very good. They had a lot of close near falls down the stretch. The crowd was into it. The Riot Squad did well for themselves. The babyfaces went over as they should have. I don't know. I really, really liked this match um, a lot more than I thought I would. It was by no means in my top three favorite matches from the show. But for a match I figured would be, you know, a glorified Raw main event or a glorified Raw five minute match or whatever, they uh, really went out there and gave it their all, which I kind of should have expected given who was involved. But nonetheless, I thought this was a real good match. Banks, Bailey, and Natalya going over. With the NXT Women's Championship, Kyrie Singh defending against Shayna Baszler in a rematch from NXT Takeover Brooklyn 4 from back in uh, August. Another great match between these two women. My second favorite match on this show was this one. Um, The pace was great. The storytelling was great. Baszler is such a badass. I was not a fan of the fact that they included her in that Performance Center brawl with Charlotte and Becky um, a few weeks ago. I think it was about a week, week and a half ago at this point. She was shown among the other Performance Center recruits just standing there like a fucking goof. Like, she is more special than probably anyone else in that division. So why would you include her in that nonsense? It's like when they have you know, you don't really see John Cena or Randy Orton or all these other guys being thrown out there for brawls. Like, you know when they have brawls break out on Raw and they have the rest of the roster come out to break it up? You don't see Cena out there. You don't see Randy Orton out there unless they're the ones doing the brawling. It's because they're larger than life superstars. Why would you have Baszler? I know she's not a John Cena or a Randy Orton, but why would you have Baszler be out there when she doesn't need to be? So anyway, they kind of, uh, rectified that here by having Baszler regain the gold with the help of the Two other four horsewomen of the um, UFC, MMA, whatever you want to call it. I think Jessica something and Marina something. Marina Shafir, maybe? Jessica Duke, I think their names are, if I'm not mistaken. I know Marina, if that is indeed her real name, um, is also the wife of Roger Strong. And they were also signed to NXT. They were, they were signed a few months ago. They've been working the NXT live events for a few months now. So to bring them in as Baszler's backup, if that is indeed the plan, um, I think it's a great idea. Especially if they want to prolong this feud between Baszler and Sane through TakeOver in November. Um, I don't know if they would do another one-on-one match or a six-woman tag team match with Sane choosing her partner, someone like an Io Shirai and like a Nikki Cross or something. But still, um, I like the idea of a Baszler-Sane feud or a Baszler, you know, faction alongside the other four horsewomen of the MMA UFC world. Um, Ronda Rousey should not be involved with that yet um, I saw people calling for and I honestly also expected Baszler to be called up immediately after Evolution which still could happen not now but like maybe after Survivor Series of saying gets the belt back in time um, like they did with Samoa Joe Nakamura like Joe regained the gold that takeover a few years ago people are like holy shit I thought Joe was main roster bound nope Jean- Joe won the belt back only for Nakamura to win it back at a live event like two weeks later in Japan so I could see them doing something similar with Shane and Baszler and then Baszler heads the main roster with the rest of that four horsewoman group, maybe to do something with Ronda. I would rather see them positioned as rivals than allies from the get-go. Just because they should save that big four-woman group for down the road and that would make technically Sheena Baszler, I mean she's already a heel, but rather Ronda Rousey a heel, which she should not be anytime soon. I think she might be a better fit as a heel at some point. But at the same time, she's so popular right now. She is killing it as a babyface. Why squander that when you don't have to? So maybe we see a Baszler-Ronda feud. I wouldn't do it at WrestleMania. Maybe they save that for like the Royal Rumble. Or again, it looks like they're doing Naya and Ronda at TLC in December. So maybe we get Baszler and Ronda at the time of the Royal Rumble or any pay-per-view in between that time. Um, or after WrestleMania, maybe they save Baszler until a uh, post-WrestleMania call-up, when we get all four horsewomen on the main roster, on the Raw roster, I think that'd be pretty cool, Um, so we'll see, but I thought this was a great match, the interference I'm not always high on, but I thought it was well done here, Baszler and Sane uh, work very well together, they have tremendous chemistry as as, uh, opponents, as rivals, and uh, Baszler did walk away as the new NXT Women's Champion, so I'm looking forward to seeing what's next with those women, Uh, For the SmackDown Women's Championship, a last woman standing match, the second ever in company history, the first being a uh, NXT TV match between Asuka and Nikki Cross for the NXT Women's Championship last summer in, I think, June of 2017. This was awesome. This match was easily the match of the night and maybe the best Becky Lynch and Charlotte match I've ever seen, which is saying a lot. That covers a lot of ground. Um, Charlotte had a lot of great matches with Sasha Banks a few years ago back in 2016 during their long-running rivalry. This might have been better. The Becky and Charlotte feud, as I answered a question about this on Hashtag on Wednesday, the Becky and Charlotte feud might be the best main roster women's feud they've done since Sasha and Bayley in NXT. Now, Sasha and Charlotte was great, if only for the matches, but I can't remember many great promos that either woman cut. The matches were awesome, But at least Becky's been going out there having awesome matches, having not only matches, but awesome promos week in and week out for a while now. Becky is really the MVP of WWE at the moment. If we're being honest here, Becky Lynch has been fucking killing it week in and week out for so long. How can she not be the MVP of WWE right now? So this whole feud's been great. They built it up great. The turn at SummerSlam was a shocker. I mean, I initially questioned turning Becky over Charlotte and the crowd seemingly is obviously in agreement with that as they've been siding with Becky over Charlotte week in, week out, no matter where they are, people are still cheering Becky over Charlotte. They're not gonna change that, but the feud is apparently over based off this match. It felt like a blow off. They went all out. They took their fight all around the arena, in the aisleways, in the crowd, around the ringside, they used the commentary table, they used tables, chairs, all this other shit. They really beat the shit out of each other here. And it felt like a truly hardcore match. But it didn't feel forced, either. It felt genuine, it felt organic, it felt natural for these two women to be using as as many weapons as they did. Um, The overall feel of the match, it had a big fight feel, the crowd was into it, the storytelling was terrific. Again, everything about this I thought was awesome. I really, really enjoyed this match. Becky, in the end, did um, outlast Charlotte and won the championship with a 10-count, and not won the championship, but successfully retained the title, so Becky Lynch, still your on Women's Champion to finish, I did not see it coming. I knew it was the right move to keep the belt on Becky, but quite honestly, I thought they'd be like, oh, you know, Charlotte needs her happy ending, she'll win the belt back here, blah, blah, blah. Nope, Charlotte lost again. And I think that's terrific. They really need to have Charlotte start showing signs of vulnerability. Signs of, like, she can't win the big one. And I love this story because you can build this into, like, maybe... She has to. I mean, like I said, Raw has the advantage over SmackDown in terms of their women's divisions. Raw, the Raw women have to win. I don't know. If, I think they won two years ago. I don't know if they won last year. I honestly do not remember. But um, in terms of this match, I, you know, I would have the Raw women go over at Survivor Series. And then Charlotte can continue her like, oh, woe was me. I can't win the big one. Blah, blah, blah. And then she wins the Royal Rumble in Arizona in uh, January. Then goes on to face Ronda Rousey at um, WrestleMania for the Raw Women's Championship. I think that writes itself. I think telling a good comeback story with Charlotte is the way to go here. And I think people could buy into it. And it would be a lot better than just putting the belt right back on Charlotte anytime soon. So that's what I would do. Um, But I love this match. Again, one of the best women's matches I've ever seen in WWE. Gotta be up there with any of the Sasha-Charlotte matches. And easily up there with Sasha and Charlotte or Sasha, excuse me, Sasha and Bailey from TakeOver Brooklyn won in 2015. But, um, yeah, that's how I would book Charlotte. I would have her continue to lose the big matches. She's already lost now. She won at SummerSlam, but she lost the championship to at Hell in a Cell. She failed to regain the title at Super Showdown and on SmackDown right after. At Evolution, she failed to win the championship back. We have Survivor Series. I would have her lose there, too. Maybe she has an interim feud with, like, Selena Vega. I don't really care much about that. But, like... I don't know, you have her continue to lose until she wins the Women's Royal Rumble match. To set the stage for Charlotte and Ronda at WrestleMania, which I think is very worthy of this main event slot. I'm not sure what the rest of the card would look like, granted, but I think Charlotte and Ronda as dating as far back as WrestleMania 34, I figured a lot of people, I think a lot of people figured that was the plan for the pay-per-view. Um but yeah, I would headline that show as of right now with Charlotte and Ronda for the Raw Women's Championship, assuming Ronda keeps the belt until then and she should. And, um, with Charlotte, you can have her, you know, finally win the big one at the Royal Rumble. And maybe, I don't know if she would win the championship at WrestleMania. I wouldn't do it, personally. But, um, yeah, we'll see. That's how I would book the respective Raw and SmackDown women's divisions leading up to WrestleMania in April of next year. In the main event of Evolution we had for the Raw Women's Championship, speaking of which, Ronda Rousey defending against Nikki Bella... Um, This was a way better match than I could have expected, to be quite honest. I thought this was a pretty good match. By no means better than Becky or Charlotte, not even close. But it was still a pretty competent main event. The crowd did not poop all over just because it wasn't Becky and Charlotte, not because they were worn out from the previous match. They were still able to go out there, have a pretty good match, and not keep the fans intrigued and, you know, invested in the action. I mean, I, I don't think anyone really thought Nikki had a chance in hell of beating Ronda Rousey for the Raw Women's Championship, but she put up a good fight considering... Also, that she's not really wrestled full-time in like two or three years. It was a pretty adamant thing for her to go out there. And, you know, it's commendable. She did a commendable job of going out there and having one of the better Nikki Bella matches I've ever seen. Especially with someone who doesn't have a ton of experience in this realm. That being Ronda Rousey. So again, good match here. Good way to close out the show. Ronda Rousey retains the Raw Women's Championship. And then they had all the women um, standing on the stage to close out the show including Ronda Rousey and Nikki Bella kind of embracing each other. Not Nikki Bella, that would have been dumb. Rather, um, Ronda Rousey and Becky Lynch embracing each other go off the show. Now, I know kayfabe has is, is been dead for years now. People have been complaining, oh, why would they do that? Heels and faces coming together. They've been doing this shit for so long now, I don't even care. It's also a historic pay-per-view. They really want to send that message home about how historic evolution was and celebrate with all the women at the top of the stage. Whatever, that's fine, didn't mind it. What I thought was weird was like I said, they had Rhonda and Nikki or Rhonda and Becky, which sounds similar. I don't know why I keep saying Nikki. Rhonda and Becky embrace on the stage before they went off the air. And then no more than a day later, which I mean this happened immediately after Revolution on the post show, but they didn't air it until raw the next night. Um, Becky confronted Rhonda backstage about her being a champ and then Rhonda being a champ too. So, obviously setting up for a match at Survivor Series, which has already been confirmed for the card. Ronda Rousey, Becky Lynch, Raw versus SmackDown non-title match. That's a hell of a match. Becky's been at the top of her game now for months. Ronda Rousey, her stock could not be higher right now in the company. Um, I mean, granted, I would save it for another pay-per-view, like a WrestleMania, but you know what? Better now than never, because we don't really know what Ronda Rousey's future holds in WWE. We're not sure if she's sticking around, or if she's going to resign. Or if she's going to leave after WrestleMania. We have no clue. I think it'd be a mistake for her to leave. I mean, she's so popular right now. They put all their eggs in one basket with her. That I think it'd be a a mistake to have her leave. That being said, um, you know, I would do the match now. Ronda and Becky at Survivor Series feels like a big match to me. No championship is on the line. I assume Ronda's winning. I've seen some people say that Becky should win just because she's on the roll of her career. Becky is not a threat to Ronda Rousey. She's not. I mean, having her beat Charlotte Clean was cool. That was a breath of fresh air, but I still do not see Becky Lynch as a legit threat to Ronda Rousey. Her promo on SmackDown this week was great and all, but I just, I really do not see Becky beating Ronda, nor should she so soon. I would save her first loss for a bigger pay-per-view down the road. Ronda Rousey went undefeated in the UFC for fucking like two or three years, if not longer. Why the fuck would she lose eight months in to her WWE career? Makes no sense. So I would keep her undefeated, have her beat Becky, there's also a way to keep Becky undefeated, or not undefeated, but rather having her look strong in defeat, which I feel like is, um, is very possible. So again, um, I'm looking forward to that. We know nothing else about the Raw and SmackDown theme of Survivor Series. I had, was hoping that they had done away with that shit, just because it has never meant anything. It will never mean anything. Raw and SmackDown trade talent back and forth every fucking year like it's nothing. Like, it's nothing. They barely even acknowledge it. Why is Tamina on Raw? Why is Big Show on SmackDown? They were on the opposite shows the week before. What the fuck changed? But now all of a sudden, because it's Survivor Series time, Raw and SmackDown are these two huge rivals. Again, stop with the nonsense, stop with the bullshit, and fucking just give me a good Survivor Series card. Don't force it with the Raw and SmackDown matches if it's not necessary. So anyway, um, as of right now, what I would do... For the champion versus champion matches. Like I said. Becky Ronda already announced. The match I'm looking forward to. Than any other match in that card. From what I expect right now. Um, I mean it depends what happens at Crown Jewel. Because as of right now. It's AJ Styles versus Vacant. Which I'm sure would be a great match. AJ could get a great match out of. Really anyone including a broom. And still make it a five star classic. So I'm sure Vacant can give him a hell of a performance deal. But uh, Brock and Braun are fighting for the championship at Crown Jewel. Let's say Braun wins. I'll get to that at the end of the episode. But let's say Braun wins the championship, which he should. You get AJ and Braun. Eh, good match. Two very popular baby faces. Doesn't feel like a great match to me. I like the idea of Samoa Joe and Braun Strowman in a champion versus champion match. I like that idea a hell of a lot more. Just because we've never seen it before. It's two hosses. They can go in there and beat the fuck out of each other. Granted, I said the same thing about Braun and Brock about a year ago at Crown Jewel, or rather at No Mercy, before Crown Jewel, and it sucked. But still, I think Joe and Braun would be the bigger attraction over AJ and Braun. Anyway, so that's the World Championship match, which is currently up in the air. For the tag titles, we know nothing. The bar of the current SmackDown Tag Team Champions, which they should stay, um, who are the Raw Tag Team Champions though? Currently, it's Dean Ambrose and Seth Rollins. Part of me is telling me that we are not going to see those two teaming up in time for Survivor Series, so they're probably going to have to vacate those championships. Going to have to vacate those championships soon and give them to another team. Um, AOP would be pretty cool. The Bar versus AOP would be nice. The revival would be even better. Now I know we saw the match earlier this year on Raw, but it was like a two minute fucking squash fest. They could really go out there and have a great match, but I don't think they're winning the Raw Tag Team Championship so. I don't know, if it's Ambrose and Rollins, they're not going out there and having a great match because they currently hate each other. So unless it's Rollins versus The Bar all on his own, which we saw earlier this year when Rollins was initially feeding with The Bar, then I don't really want to see that. So hopefully the belts are transferred over to AOP and we get AOP versus The Bar, which could be pretty damn good. And then for the mid-card championships, um, based off the looks of it, Nakamura is apparently still the United States champion. You would never fucking know if you watch SmackDown because he's never on the show. The only real three people he's beaten since winning that championship in July are Jeff Hardy, R-Truth, and Ty Dellinger. Beyond that, Nakamura is barely on the fucking show. So, I don't know what the fuck is going on with him. But, as of right now, it would be Seth Rollins versus Shinsuke Nakamura. So, I mean, I guess they can give the championship to, like, Dean Ambrose or something before then, but I would not do that. I would save that for, like, TLC or whatever. Um, So, you have Rollins and Nakamura, which could be a hell of a match. I'm all for that. So hopefully they keep the championships on those two people so we can get Rollins and Nakamura at the pay-per-view. For the big five-on-five match, for the women, I would assume it's going to be, assuming Trish and Lita are not involved, you have Sasha Banks, you have Bayley, Mickey James, maybe Alexa Bliss if she's cleared in time, and then Ember Moon. Um, Nia Jax, eh, I guess Nia, not, Raw has a lot more women to choose from than SmackDown does. For Raw, obviously Nia Jax, because she's the current number one contender to the Raw Women's Championship, so how could she not be involved? Hopefully not Tamina, who's fucking terrible. Um, But Sasha Banks, Bayley, Nia Jax, Ember Moon, and let's say Alexa Bliss. If not Alexa Bliss, then Mickie James. To SmackDown's Charlotte, who I do end up thinking, who I do think will ultimately take the, uh, the role of the captain of Team SmackDown this year. So you have Charlotte, Uh, Who else? The Iconics? I don't even know. Like, Naomi Oscar are two obvious choices. Carmella. And, um, let's say Lana. I assume Lana. Raw should win that in a landslide. For the big 5-on-5 match, SmackDown should easily win that. Raw doesn't really have many people to choose from. Kurt Angle, I guess, even though he's a part-timer. But Kurt Angle. Baron Corbin, maybe. Um, who even else? I'm not sure. Baron Corbin, Kurt Angle... Elias, I guess, um, Elias, Kevin Owens is hurt, Sammy Zayn is hurt, Bobby Lashley, Finn Balor, eh, not exactly the strongest team on paper, SmackDown I could see it being, I mean it depends what happens at Crown Jewel, but it could be any combination of like Jeff Hardy, Randy Orton, Andrade Sin Alamos, um, Samoa Joe, Daniel Bryan, they have a bunch of people to choose from, The Miz, so, yeah, there's a lot, Rey Mysterio, SmackDown is stacked, dude, SmackDown is fucking stacked, so I think SmackDown should win that one in a landslide as well, but anyway, that's my quick preview for Survivor Series, it's not for another month, but I just thought that I'd throw that out there, just because uh, it looks like on paper it could be a good show for the Raw and SmackDown matches, even though I feel I feel like it feels forced, as long as we don't get another Raw versus SmackDown brawl that we've been getting every fucking year now for like, since 2016... It's time to move on from that shit and come up with something more creative. Um, I'm not a big fan of that shit, but we'll see how they how the card shakes out and if it ends up being worthwhile. Raw for Monday night, um, I thought was a pretty bad show. Really, offered nothing of note whatsoever. The women's tag team match that was good. Saw Trish Stratus lead in Sasha Banks and Bayley and Natalya take on Mickie James, Alicia Fox, and the Riot Squad. Beyond that, the ri- the uh, well ran dry with this show. Ah, uh, the Rollins and Ambrose confrontation—I thought was great. I thoroughly enjoyed that. Nia Jax and Ember Moon had a not really that good of a match. The Lucha House Party is officially a part of the Raw Tag Team Division again. It's essentially the Lucha Dragons 2.0, except better because uh, Lince Dorado and Gran Metalik are far better than Sin is and was, was and is. Um, but they could be, you know, a nice little get for the Raw Tag Team Division. The Raw Tag Team Division is in shambles right now, mind you. But they could be, uh, you know, a nice diamond in the rough, we'll see. We'll see how uh, how well they're used. But they're all to a strong start beating the Revival on Monday's Raw. I mean, who hasn't beat the Revival by this point? But whatever. It was a fun little match. There was more hype for the upcoming WWE World Cup. Um, It was also announced on the show that John Cena is no longer competing in the WWE World Cup, being replaced by Bobby Lashley, who has lost to Finn Balor two weeks in a row. So it makes no sense for Bobby to be involved. And granted, well, we have to have Americans even though it's called the World Cup, I mean, I think Finn Balor would have been a better choice, but it also would not have made sense for Finn Balor to, um, for, for Baron Corbin to give Finn Balor that spot, given their history. I think Bobby Lashley made more sense from a storyline standpoint, but I think Finn Balor would have been a better choice just because he's not from America. I mean, what a concept as part of a World Cup, um, but also because, I don't know, he's beaten Bobby Lashley twice. I feel like he would have been a far better choice than Bobby, but whatever. The point of the matter is, the fact of the matter is this. John Cena will not be at Crown Jewel. It was reported about a week ago from, uh, I think, Robbie from uh, Barstool Sports. Um, Robbie Fox, I believe his name is, to quote the source correctly. Um, he had reported that both John Cena and Daniel Bryan had no desire to compete at Crown Jewel, had no desire to try, uh, to travel over to Saudi Arabia, given the current situation over there. And they're not going. And both were written off the show on this past weekend raw and SmackDown respectively. I have no idea when we're gonna see Cena next. It really made no sense for him to compete in the World Cup to begin with, just because he didn't really earn it. He didn't win a qualifying match. Yeah, he was at um Super Showdown, what a won a tag team match with Bobby Lashley, who fucking cares? So I'm glad that um I'm glad that he was written out. Um and it sucks he won't be there, but like it never really made much sense to begin with. So Bobby Lashley is taking his place. Um, yeah, we had Balor and Bobby on the show. It was fine. Elias' face turned his off to, you know, a fine start beating Ginder on the show. Not exactly an enthralling match, but it was okay. Bobby Roode and Chad Gable beat AOP in the Ascension in a triple threat tag team match before being attacked afterward by AOP. So I would assume that sets up Roode and Gable versus um, AOP in the foreseeable future. But that was the, uh, you know, the match hardly existed because they gave him fucking like two minutes of TV time without the commercial, not counting the commercial. So whatever. The Braun and Brock stuff was a complete waste. It really was. Um, With those guys, that should have been far more important than it was. Brock has not made a single appearance on WWE TV since Hell in a Cell when he initially came back to be added in the Universal Championship picture at Crown Jewel. We have not seen him on Raw beyond that except for Monday's Raw, and he did fucking nothing except for F5 Braun Strowman. How is that supposed to get me excited for the pay-per-view on Friday? How is that supposed to get me excited for the Universal Championship match? The answer is that it doesn't. It was a total waste. The main event segment can be said, the same can be said about that segment as well. What a fucking waste. I do not at all care about DX versus the Brothers of Destruction. Shawn Michaels getting back in the ring could not feel any less important. And it's sad, too. I mean, the guy's one of the greatest of all time. There should be a lot of excitement over the fact that, oh, Shawn Michaels is back. He's in, um... He's gonna be wrestling again alongside Triple H against Shawn Michaels or against The Undertaker and Kane. A big deal. It doesn't feel like a big deal at all. It really doesn't. It just feels like another match. Just another fucking match on the show. Um, DX came out. Shawn Michaels came out of nowhere. Delivered a sweet chin music to The Undertaker. Before, um, scrambling out. And that was it. That was their best attempt at getting people excited. For Crown Jewel, apparently. I don't know why. It was a very weak attempt. That's, like, the fucking best you can come up with? That's the best you can come up with is having the fucking DX attack the Brothers of Destruction with a quick quick switch in music? Give me a break. This feud really peaked right before Super Showdown because the match at Super Showdown sucked and has not recovered. I just really want the show to be over so we can move on from this shit. I want Michaels in more matches. We'll see how he fares on Friday. I'll talk about that momentarily, too. But it's like, the build of this show, a lot like Evolution, has been pretty abysmal. Now that said, Evolution exceeded all expectations in being a great show. I'm not sure if the same will be said for uh, for, uh, Crown Jewel. Just because, unlike Evolution, this feels like a glorified international house show being televised for the network, as opposed to a tried-and-true pay-per-view, like the Evolution show last week. So, we'll see, we'll see. But, so far, my expectations are... Not exactly through the roof, to say the least, for Crown Jewel on Friday. Speaking of Crown Jewel, before we get to my predictions for the pay per view coming up momentarily, a uh, quick SmackDown thoughts. I thought it was a very good show. As I mentioned earlier, Daniel Bryan, a lot like John Cena, is off the Crown Jewel card. He will not be competing on Friday in Saudi Arabia. So instead, they hot shot of the WWE Championship match, which, in a normal circumstance, I'd be very pissed at just give it away on free TV like that without any without any prior hype whatsoever, and they wonder why ratings are in the toilet. Um, but in this circumstance, they had to do it. I mean, I would have saved the match for another day, but whatever, they wanted to deliver the match early. AJ Styles versus Daniel Bryan, terrific match. One of the better WWE matches I've seen on, on TV all week. They worked wonderfully, to, uh, wonderfully together. I mean, as you can only expect. Um, AJ did win clean. Bryan tapped out to the calf crusher. So AJ Styles is still your WWE champion, but that was not it. Samoa Joe ambushed both men afterwards, laying up both Styles and Bryan. And um, it looks like it will be Styles and Samoa Joe for the WWE Championship this Friday at Crown Jewel. Daniel Bryan being read off, moment, uh, written off TV momentarily, temporarily. I'm sure he will be brought back at some point, maybe even as early as next week, if not the week after. Um, but it's not like they had, you know, Joe interfere, which they easily could have done here. They very easily could have had Joe interfere and build to a Styles, Bryan, Joe three-way which they could still do, but I feel like it would have made more sense to have Joe interfere here and then set up that three-way for another day and then have Joe beat the shit out of um, Daniel Bryan and that explains why he's not a Crown Jewel. He really only choked him out, no different than AJ. So I'm not really sure why people are supposed to think, oh, Bryan's so hurt he can't compete. Like... Aside from the obvious reasons that he just doesn't want to be there. I'm not really sure why Brian would not be cleared to compete. But Joe is getting another opportunity at the WWE Championship on Friday. Again, a match I will predict in my predictions coming up soon. Um and the annual Trick or Street Fight. You either loved it or you hated it. I love this shit. I'm a huge mark for Halloween, so I love this stuff. Biggie taking on Cesaro. A fun little match, the New Day going over gives them momentum ahead of their SmackDown Tag Team Championship rematch with the bar on Friday at Crown Jewel. But even better than the match itself was the entrance of the New Day, which is always electric. But this time more than any other. They came out dressed for Halloween as the fucking Brood, which very sadly did not elicit any sort of a reaction from the fans in attendance. But I thought the cosplay for the Brood was fucking on point. Big E was Gangrel. Had the motions down, the walk down, the head bob down, and everything. It was amazing. He was a great uh, great Gangrel. That's tongue twister. He was a great Gangrel. Um, I believe Kofi Kingston was Edge, and Xavier Woods was Christian. Or no, I think Kofi Kingston was Christian, and Xavier Woods was Edge, if I'm not mistaken. It was awesome, though. Came out to the music and all, with the blood spewing that in uh, Big Show's face during the match towards the end, giving Biggie the victory. Yeah, this was really enjoyable. I love this a lot. But the Brood entrance was fucking awesome. Um, I don't care what you think about the stable or Gangrel or whatever. That music, when you hear that, it gave me chills. I was marking it. I thought that was awesome. And I'm not even an Attitude Era fan. The Brood was not around for that long. But people, for whatever reason, remember that music because it was fucking sick. So I thought that was really cool. For the United States Championship, it was supposed to be Shinsuke Nakamura taking on Ty Dillinger. Ty Dillinger was apparently injured at the house show um, the night before. I would assume that's a storyline. Otherwise, I'm not really sure why they wouldn't deliver on Nakamura and Dillinger. It has to be legit, I'm saying. I don't know if it's a storyline per se. Just because why wouldn't you do Nakamura and Dillinger? What, to build to a feature match between the two? Who gives a fuck? Who gives a fuck about Nakamura and Ty Dillinger? No one would have cared anyway. Probably would have been a better match than this, which was okay. But no one gave a shit because no one actually thought R-Truth had any shot in hell... Of winning the United States Championship. So this was a total waste of time. Uh, Becky Lynch's promo like I talked about earlier was straight fire, pun intended. Addressing Ronda Rousey at Survivor Series promising to break her arm off. Short, sweet, and straight to the point. This was fucking perfect. This was a great promo from Becky. She knows exactly what she wants to say, how to say it, says her shit, and gets the fuck out. That's how you cut a promo. The main event saw Jeff Hardy and Rey Mysterio take on The Miz and Randy Orton in Tag Team Action to hype up the World Cup, where it will be Rey Mysterio taking on Randy Orton in the first round and Jeff Hardy versus The Miz, also in the first round. Um, A little note on Rey Mysterio here. He was a part of the Jericho Cruise, which set sail over the weekend. I think it wrapped up today on Halloween. I think they came back today. Rey Mysterio was on the cruise, but he left early. Whether they stopped somewhere, I think they stopped in Miami or something. I'm not sure. They did stop somewhere on Monday. He must have gotten off there and then gotten to SmackDown in time. That's pretty amazing. Class act as Rey Mysterio. Most people would have been like, fuck it. This is a pre-existing, you know, booking. I'm not going to your little SmackDown show, regardless of whether I'm assigned to you or not. But no, Rey Mysterio was cool enough to do both. He went on the Jericho Cruiser for a few days and left early to do the uh, SmackDown show on Tuesday. You know, for a throwaway team match, but it was fine. It was enjoyable. Hardy and Mysterio went over before Orton laid out all three men. Miz, Hardy, and Mysterio with RKO's afterwards. So a good show. Now we get to my Crown Jewel predictions for Friday. Again, my expectations are not exactly through the roof. Um, it could end up being a good show. Evolution has said the same thing about it. I didn't really care about that show going in. But that was a different story. Um, these international shows feel like televised thou shows. From Greatest Royal Rumble, the Super Showdown. I feel like this will be no different. But I hope some of the matches on paper do have potential. So I'm hoping it exceeds expectations, at least from an in-ring standpoint. They gave us a couple of great matches, but we'll see. Um, For the SmackDown Tag Team titles, The Bar versus The New Day. The Bar just won the belts at SmackDown 1000. It would be a mistake to get the belts right back on New Day, which they could do. But I think The Bar will retain. And the WWE World Cup. So the quarterfinals will look like this. Intercontinental Champion Seth Rollins versus Bobby Lashley. Kurt Angle versus Dolph Ziggler, which I'm looking forward to a lot. Um, Jeff Hardy versus the Miz, and Rey Mysterio versus Randy Orton. So this is how I had the bracket shaken out. Rollins beats Bobby. Um there's no real reason for the IC champion to lose in the first round. You're saying, well, why wouldn't Dean Ambrose come out and cost him the victory? Well yeah, bear with me here. Bear with me. I don't think that happens in the first round. Don't blow your load in the first round. There's no real reason. I mean, I guess we could get Angle and Ziggler, or Angle and Lashley rather, in the in the quarterfinals, in the semifinals. I don't know why you would do that, but I guess you could. I wouldn't do that personally, but um, I would have Rollins go over there, Angle go over, beat Ziggler. I think Angle and Ziggler could be a really, really good match, Um, but I would do Rollins and Angle. I'm not sure when we'll ever get this match, so I feel like the time isn't out to do it. Uh, Rollins and Angle, Rollins wins. So I feel like that's another match that could be a fucking banger if given the time it deserves, so hopefully it is. On the SmackDown side, Mysterio and Orton. Orton's on a roll right now, but Rey Mysterio just came back, so we got Mysterio going over. Jeff Hardy and The Miz. The Miz wins, and that leads to Miz and Mysterio in the semifinals, which we saw on SmackDown a few weeks ago. Um, so I would, and, and Rey Mysterio won, so I think The Miz will get his win back by beating Rey Mysterio. The finals will look like this: Rollins versus The Miz. That's when Ambrose interferes, costs Rollins the victory, giving Miz the win and the title of the best in the world, which he's obviously not. But that's the whole point. The Miz can use that against AJ Styles, Daniel Bryan, whoever's in the WWE Championship picture by next week. He can claim he's the best in the world and use that over Daniel Bryan. So I feel like Miz winning writes itself. Um, not only that, but Shane did say in SmackDown this week that whoever makes it to the finals of the SmackDown superstars And if they lose, they're fired. Which makes absolutely no sense. I don't know why Sheen would want more star power on Raw. Because if Miz, Orton, Hardy, or Rey Mysterio lose, why the fuck would he want them on Raw? That makes no sense. So, anyway. um, I got Miz winning for all those reasons. I feel like it just writes itself. It makes sense. And Miz goes on to vie for the WWE Championship at some point. That's probably why why he lost the match to Daniel Bryan at Super Showdown. They don't really think these things that far ahead. But maybe they did. Maybe they did. Maybe that's why I was a bit disappointed that Miz did not win that match. But maybe it was because he could win this tournament. And we get Brian and AJ one-on-one before Miz gets interspliced into the title picture by next week or so. We'll see. Just in time for Survivor Series and TLC later on this year. Speaking of the WWE Championship, AJ Styles versus Samoa Joe. I'm going to go out on a limb here and say Samoa Joe. Um, I feel like they could have put anyone in that slot, but they were adamant about putting Joe in that slot, despite the fact that Joe's now lost three times, or technically twice, but he's failed to win the championship three times from AJ at SummerSlam, Hell in the Cell, and Super Showdown. Why would you do another, a fourth match? I guess they could do a non-finish, but that just feels lazy to me, um, which we've also seen with these two before. I would have Joe win the championship. I would. I would put the belt on Joe. AJ's now had it for close to almost almost exactly one year. It's going to be one year next Wednesday. Um, Joe winning, you know, snapping the streak would be a big moment. A lot of great heel heat for him. He deserves one run as world champion. And that also sets up Joe, AJ, and Brian in a three-way for either an episode of SmackDown or for, you know, the TLC pay-per-view in December if they end up going with the champion versus champion theme for Survivor Series. So that would be awesome, too. AJ, Brian, Joe. I mean, if AJ retains clean against Joe, which would be a waste of Joe, again, very detrimental to his credibility, then where do you go? Brian tapped clean on Tuesday. Joe would have lost clean, again. So where the fuck do you go with this feud if AJ wins again? Nowhere. So I have Joe win. Daniel Bryan's in chase mode because Joe hurt him on Tuesday. Then AJ obviously has his rematch for the championship. So I got Joe, new WWE champion. That may not be exactly a popular pick, but he's my pick to become the champion on Friday. For the Universal Championship, Brock Lesnar and Braun Strowman, the vacant title here. Braun's got to win. I could see people saying, oh, Brock, you know, he's a bigger name. They want the title on a bigger name. They had to have realized that the only reason that Brock was champion for so long was so Roman can beat him and get cheered for it, because Brock's reign lasted forever. They can't go back to that shit. They really can't. Can they? No. Unless they want the belt on Brock in time for UFC in January, and even then, that's a dumb idea because he would not bring the championship with him anyway. That would be a fucking mistake. Raw is already in shambles. You do not need a champion. That's never there. So Braun's got to win that match. Then to the main event, D-Generation X versus the Brothers of Destruction, marking the in-ring return for Shawn Michaels, his first belt back since WrestleMania 26 in 2010. Um, people are saying, well, Shawn can't lose his first match back, right? Well, it's a tag team match. It doesn't have to. It doesn't have to win. I feel like the Brothers of Destruction will win. They lost at Super Showdown when Taker lost to Triple H. We'll have Taker pin Triple H and then Sean will come back and face Undertaker at some point down the road, which I don't really want to see, personally. But they could do it. Fuck it. Why not? So I could see them doing that. Um, I have Brothers of Destruction going over. And those are my picks and predictions for Friday's Crown Jewel pay-per-view again. Eh, I don't really care about the show. I'm not even sure if, I, if I'll be able to watch it live. We'll see. But my review should be up in written form on Next Day Wrestling by either late Friday, or early Saturday. And then, obviously, I will be breaking down Crown Jewel right here on WrestleRant Radio next Thursday. So, speaking of the show, guys, be sure to subscribe on iTunes. Full episodes are available on NextDayWrestling.net, but it's so much more convenient to check out the show on iTunes. Simply search up WrestleRant Radio on your Apple Podcast app, rate the show, review the show, subscribe to the show. You not only get every new episode on Thursdays, you also get the entire library, dating back to the very first episode in October of 2013. A lot of great interviews, including with Goldberg, Chris Jericho, Ryback, Nick Aldis, and so many more right here. Uh, Brodus Clay, we had uh, Tough Enough contestants. We had so many great guests. Diamond Dallas Page, in the history of WrestleRant Radio. And I got another one coming up soon, if it comes to fruition. I'm not going to announce it just yet, but... We do have a big guest coming to WrestleRant Radio, hopefully in the next few weeks, and it's going to be a doozy. It's going to be up there with uh, the Chris Jericho and Goldberg podcasts, so stay tuned for that right here on WrestleRant Radio in the weeks ahead. With all that being said, guys, you can find me on the socials on Twitter at WrestleRant on Facebook, facebook facebook.com backslash gram.gsm.matthews, YouTube as well, youtube.com backslash c backslash Graham G.S. and Matthews. So enjoy the month of November, guys. Try to enjoy Crown Jewel on Friday. I'm Graham G.S. and Matthews, and I'll catch your ass down the road.